0: To the left field champ. My name is Joe Greenwood. I hope you're all doing well this week. Uh, apologies for there not being an episode last week. Uh, I was very ill, I had flu, and uh, my voice was in not a good state. And uh, I really wouldn't want you to listen to that. Um, it would have been a properly embarrassing experience for all of us, I believe. Um, but anyway, this week um, we're going to be talking about. Nightcrawler, uh, as well as Martin Scorsese's The King of Comedy. Uh, I know that I said in the previous episode it would be Listen Up, Philip with Husbands and Wives. There's a slight change with that. Uh, That's been pushed back a couple of weeks, and I won't be talking about Husbands and Wives. Uh, I'll instead be talking about The Color Wheel, which is the second film by Alex Ross Perry, his third film being Listen Up, Philip. But uh, now that I've got that out of the way, let's move on to this week's episode and get talking about Nightcrawler. So Nightcrawler is the debut film from Dan Gilroy, Uh, he's a screenwriter, he worked um, most recently on The Bourne Legacy with his brother Tony Gilroy Tony Gilroy also directed The Bourne Legacy and he directed uh, Michael Clayton as well, a film which I greatly admire I think it's a very well crafted film um, which I feel has some of the same problems that this film has Uh, Nightcrawler follows Lou Bloom as played by Jake Gyllenhaal a sort of well he's a petty thief at the start of the film who stumbled into the career path of a night crawler, someone who goes around at night filming tragic events for TV news and then selling the footage. Uh, there's a sort of he, he sort of doesn't really have this as a career goal he does fall into it. And throughout the film, this character talks about career and business goals in this sort of business management speak. um, Because you find out that he's someone who is very much of this sort of millennial generation, of brought up on the internet and told that you can do anything you want. You can achieve whatever you want. And he finds that it's a lot more difficult than he realised. And he even admits this. and so he starts filming these tragic events, whether they're a shooting or a car crash or whatever, um, and selling it to TV news. And in particular, one newswoman in, partic- uh, in particular is played by Rene Russo. Um, as his business starts to grow, he employs... Sort of down on his luck, bum of sorts, is played by Riz Ahmed to assist him. And their and their job, they become more and more successful at it, and their sort of business and scope grows and grows until they kind of are able to start manipulating events to their will so that they can get the best footage possible. Now, that is a very vague setup, I've um, given it. Um, deliberately so. First off, let's move into the positives. Uh, Jake Gyllenhaal is fantastic in this. He is really giving it his all. He's slightly gaunt. He's lost a bit of weight, but not enough where it's sort of Christian Bale in The Machinist. It's enough where you can see his cheekbones are a little bit more exaggerated than normal. And his eyes slightly... They look deeper in his head. They look like they've fallen backwards. And he has this really wide-eyed sort of glare about him. And uh, he gives these sort of scenes of intense silence where he doesn't move or just sort of like stands there looking, just thinking intently. But you're really going get the impression that there's nothing really going on in his head either. Uh, Rene Russo is really quite fantastic in this. She has that sort of faded Hollywood star beauty about her. And you know, she's in a sort of maybe early 50s or so, and she just looks like this career woman who's sort of gone from job to job in a sort of high-end way, but it's never really settled anywhere. And she gives this sort of quite spiky, but silky, smooth performance. Um, and then thrown into that, Riz Ahmed's slightly bumbling, pathetic uh Desperate for any job or money, sort of loser dropouts guy who uh, Gyllenhaal, or Gillen Gyllenhaal, Gyllenhaal as, he, as I should say, um, employs. Uh, also very impressive is Robert Elswit's uh, cinematography. Um, he's really is a great chameleon of a cinematographer. I feel he's um, he's very underrated in my mind, and he is just he does. St- Absolutely stellar work here, shooting L.A. At in a nice and rather beautiful manner. Um, and also, uh, Gilroy's script has some very... Um, the dialogue in particular is very strong. Uh, Gillenhall speaks in this sort of management lingo that he's learnt online, and he speaks in this very sort of oddly flat but slightly pitched voice. It's this... Yeah, there's, his performance is very much of contradictions, um... You know, he's. You can feel that he's hiding behind this sort of management speak, this inner psychopath within within him. Now, moving on into the issues that I have with the film, I feel that it's a. It's a film that doesn't really know what it wants to be. Um, it has. Sort of elements of uh, Michael Mann noir, uh, something like Collateral or Heat or Miami Vice. Has elements of a dark psychological thriller of something like Taxi Driver um, where Gyllenhaal really does give a De Niro-type performance. Um, and then it also has this sort of satire of news media and people, you know, never... that people Normal people now are just on camera all the time and normal people are the news and normal people make the news. So you get this... So there's these sort of three sort of genre elements at play, and I feel like Gilroy wants to hit all three of them and ends up missing the target on all of them. Um to the point where towards the last fifteen, twenty minutes of the film, it actually becomes a rather conventional action thrillery type film. Um I feel like he should have chosen one of those three elements, because this is a first time director it would have taken amazing skill to pull off all three. And the satire elements are too, they're too lightly dusted in for that to be one of them. Um, and I think the noir elements might have been a bit played out if he went down that route. So for me, he should have gone down that more psychological drama of it all. of Why is this person like this? Or, you know, what's his endgame with this, because by the end of the film you don't know his endgame, which I kind of which I like as well, I like the fact that this character is ambiguous, and what's really well set up is the fact that he really has no backstory, all we know is that he is from the San Fernando Valley and he's done, he has no formal education and he's just kind of fallen into different things, he hasn't really chosen a career path. He's a bit of a loner. And I I like that, that that there isn't really much told about him. I I, I really... I'm not a huge fan of backstory anyway. And so I think that stuff's well handled, but... I I feel like the film is a missed opportunity. Um, And I think, for me, this is... I I tend to avoid reviews at all costs. Well, not at all costs, you know... You know, and for me, this is. I'm a little bit annoyed about the reception the film has had because I've seen a lot of things saying it's a masterpiece, as it says on the poster, you know, five stars, cult classic, modern cult classic, it said. It's really not any of those things. It is a film that potentially could have had that. Potentially could have had that Repo Man type reputation. But because Gilroy isn't a experienced or skilled enough director, I f- think that it I think he sort of misses a really good opportunity with this film. It's very much a solid debut that had the potential to be so much more. That used to feel the joy of I was for each flower, every dream. the cinema, Um, after seeing Nightcrawler, the first film that, there was a couple films that really reminded me of, uh, Network was one of them, as I said, uh, the Michael Mann films, Heat and uh, Collateral and Miami Vice, Um, But and uh, it also reminded me of um, that Nicole Kidman film, To Die For. Um, But the film it most reminded me of was uh, Martin Scorsese's uh, The King of Comedy, Uh, made in 1982. This was a real sort of um, left-field movie for Scorsese, who was known more for very dark and gritty noirs and, you know, something that wasn't as light as The King of Comedy, even though The King of Comedy for me is one of his darkest films, um, because of the fact that it is light on the exterior. The film uh, follows Rupert Pupkin, as played by Robert De Niro, who is an aspiring stand-up comedian and sort of hassles this uh, David Letterman-esque talk show host called Jerry Langford, it's played by Jerry Lewis. And... It's uh, it's this just so <laughs> dark and twisted and uncomfortable, squirming film where when you see Rupert's trying to connect with people, trying to move his way up, and you can see people are slightly humouring him. It's just immensely an uncomfortable film. It is a comedy of sorts, but it has very much those... Noir flavors that Scorsese is so well known for. Uh, throughout the film there are these really unbelievably tragic fantasy sequences that go into Rupert's mind. And it's it's here that you really get the measure of the man. Um, there's one in particular where he uh, he's on Jerry Langford's show. He's obviously been a frequent guest. And, um, they have, uh, his old high school teacher, I can't remember if it was his teacher or principal come out and, uh, the principal re- tells him, Hey, you know, I'm actually a, an ordained minister now. And live on television, he marries Rupert to this girl that he has this crush on. And as he's doing it, the ex high school coach says, We were wrong, Rupert, and you were right. And it's just here that you realise just how desperate and tragic this man is, how deluded he is. And it becomes all the more clear when you finally get to see him do his stand-up. He gets to perform it on the Jerry Langford show via means which are very much illegal and which I won't tell you here in case you haven't seen the film. And you get to see it, and it is distinctly average. In fact, it's not funny in the slightest. And he goes into this bar to show it to the girl who's working there that he's got a crush on to show, hey, I did make it, I was a success. And it's really not that good. And uh, the cops are there to take him away to to prison. And... um, As they're leaving, the cop who's arresting him makes a couple jokes at his expense, and they're immensely funnier than anything that Rupert has spent years working on, you know, finessing, trying to get the mannerisms right. And it's just these three or four off-the-cuff lines that he can just sort of come up with and just sort of shows how tragic this character is. It's perhaps my favourite Scorsese film. Because um, it was actually the first one that I saw. It's the one I've watched the most as well. Um, of course, stuff something like Taxi Driver or Goodfellas or Raging Bull. Uh, even Mean Streets are probably more conventional choices. But for me, this is his best film. I honestly think it's De Niro's best performance. Um, whereas Hall in Nightcrawler is this wide-eyed, gaunt figure. Pupkins is slightly... His eyes are slightly narrow. You know, he's slightly hunched. He's a slightly enclosed man. He doesn't really express his inner emotions physically throughout the film. Um, But it's... For me, it's his best performance. It's the one where... He's a psychopath. He always seems to play psychopaths at this time. He plays him very well in Scorsese films, but it's just a slightly different angle that they took with it. Really, there's not much difference between this film and Taxi Driver, um, except that rather than being a violent psychopath, he's just an unfunny comedian. She's a deep thing in happiness and even the empty nest. The left field shout is a part of the Holdfast Network. Mm hmm. Yes, it is. Holdfast Network is a Podcasting network hosting good podcasts, such as Southland and Hardcore, as hosted by Jack McEnroy and Steve Walsh. Uh, I recommend it. Actually, it's it's very good. Um, it's uh, Jack and Steve are two very nice gentlemen, and they have a very nice rapport um, on their podcast. So I highly recommend it. Uh, Steve also hosts Process which is about comics, where creators come in and they discuss the mechanics of comics and the making of them. It's very good, actually. I, I highly recommend it. Um, it's uh, he, Steve has some very good guests on there. Um, and then there's also Ford the Hamlet, which is about Dulwich Hamlet Football Club. Uh, I don't like football, so that one's not really for me. But it might be for you, so who knows? There's lots of options on the, on the Holdfast Network. There's lots of very good podcasts, as well as the left-field shout. Ha, 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 Oh, oh, by the way, I didn't, um, one, one small thing about uh, Holdfast Network. There's a submissions page. What's that, Joe? Well, the submissions page is where you can submit your podcast idea to us. That's right. You can get in touch with Holdfast Network and submit your podcast idea. You know it might be good, it might be bad, it probably will be bad, but have a go see what happens. Jack's a very nice man, you know he might he'll he'll read it um you know whatever, see what happens. Go with God and see what happens. Whole Fast network podcasts and such. My favourite bits of any episode, listener questions. Mm-mm. Num, num, num. Okay, let's get into this. This one was sent in to us. Um, okay, okay. this is question's from John Doe. I can't quite tell if you're going for a 7 reference or you just don't want your name out there. Fair enough either way. Uh, as there's not enough time to watch everything is it better to keep up to date with the zeitgeist or should you pick and choose classics do you lose anything from not watching older stuff do you lose anything by only watching the best stuff that you lose something by only watching the best stuff in that you'll never see something because what really defines best stuff some of them, my favorite films are films that weren't that well received at the time, you know, I mean, something like Only God Forgives, is something that I adore, and I think it's violent and ugly, and um, I just think it's such a special film, but the reviews on that were terrible, you know, mixed really, ranging from hate to love, I was obviously in the love category, so it depends on what you categorise as best stuff, you know. Um, there is something lost from not watching all the stuff, which is you don't get a sense of history, and also you will miss out on so many good films. You know, particularly from the forties and fifties. It's, um, yeah, it you, you also gives you a sense of where we where we came from, as such. You, you know, you get to see where it all started, where we get our ideas from, where we get our language from when it comes to films. So, not watching the old stuff, I mean, you miss out on so many great performances as well. Also, in terms of keeping up with the Zeitgeist, really there's only one or two films released per week, if you're living in London that is, that are worth seeing. Um, During my peak, the peak of my film-going powers, which was my university years, uh particularly my first year i saw probably one or two new films per week and then 10 or more older films you know i mean i don't really have that luxury anymore um of doing that but i, I you know it's it's it, it's easy to create a mix do you know what i mean if you watch a film a day which is i'm just under that amount at the moment in terms of my film watching if you're really into films and you watch a film a day, it's very easy just to mix it up with something modern. So I'm saying 2010 plus with something older. You know, it's it's not difficult, I don't think. And you get a nice mix then. Of course, some things will slip under the radar and you'll catch up with them at a later date. Um don't you know, but it's... I think it's something that's quite easy to maintain and just do both. Um, I really think you can't have one without the other. That's really what I'm trying to say here. Um, Okay. Worst cinema experience in terms of people around you. Had people laughing at parts of Gongil for no particular reason, which did my nut in. Yeah, I hate that as well, particularly... Yeah, um, I have a whole thing about that. Worst cinema experience, though. I mean, hold on, I'll get back to Gone Girl. Maybe. Gone Girl is actually quite funny. It's um, a funny film. Perhaps it was just like the audience were caught off guard and they thought, oh, it's going to be this type of film. And then when it wasn't... I don't know, perhaps they were caught off by the campiness of the film. Um, but I, yeah, I don't quite get laughing... It normally comes from laughing at an older film. Um, Normally at the BFI, you know, it's it's predominantly a rep cinema. You see old films. Um, But, you know, you go see films there and um, go see a classic film. And sometimes you get people just sort of, like, sniggering at the film. It really annoys me. Um, Just thinking now. I remember, I went, I went to see a couple Hitchcock films there. I saw, um, like I saw um, Rear Window at the BFI. And you know, it's a film that I like. Um, I don't really love any Hitchcock films. Um, but I like that film. And then there's the bit at the end where... Uh, James Stewart falls from the window and um, there's the effects, special effects of him falling. Um, And, you know, it's a bit old and ropey. But there are people absolutely dying with laughter at it. And I'm just like, if you can't put your mind in a place where you're thinking, this this film was done at this time, so obviously the technology is not going to be what it is now, and you're outright just dying with laughter at it, I don't get what the fucking point of you being there is. Like, it, why are you trying to make yourself better than the film? What are you What are you gaining from being there? Like, for me, you're just... You're taking up a seat there. I mean, it wasn't a sold-out screening. I mean, the BFI is very rarely sold out um, <laughs> for some of the, the screenings. So, you know, you're not taking up someone's seat. You're just being a cunt and it's it just really fucking annoys me because all you're saying there with that is that I don't want to connect with the film because if I do then it would have got me and that would have made me weak or whatever the fuck it is that you're trying to avoid doing. I really don't understand the point of it. Of course, with older films, there's some crazy shit that happened in them, particularly in exploitation films, where crazy stuff that they had to put in there or do to make themselves stand out from the crowd, and they had to do it on a really small budget. And so you're like, oh my god, that's ridiculous. What a ridiculous thing to happen. But I would never think about laughing at it. I would just think, oh my god, that's absolutely ridiculous. And how amazing was it that they actually went and did that back then? Or just in general? Like, I just... It, are you really just that stupid that you can't put your, yourself in that place where you're like, well, this is a film that was made then. Like, I, I'm just going to have to accept it on these terms. You know. Um, yeah, I just, I, don't, I just don't get that. So, yeah, it was probably... I've had a couple experiences, and I've, I've actually gone to see films, and I've sat down and I thought, oh, God, those p- people are going to laugh at this film, aren't they? And they have sometimes. You know, um, like Point Blank, the John Borman film, that movie is the fucking, that film is so fucking good. It is absolutely fucking wicked, and there's people, like, laughing at it. Like, it's, I just cannot get the mentality of going to see that film and then watching it and then laughing at it. Because, first off, Lee Marvin is maybe one of the coolest actors that's ever existed. Um, and then that film is just so interesting and sort of sharp as well. So, yeah, I've had quite a few experiences with that. And it's annoyed me every single time. Because you're just proving how much of a fucking idiot you are, to be honest. Um yeah. And I don't really want to share that experience with idiots, you know. I mean, I could go into a whole thing about how going to the cinema is like, for me, going to church, you know, it's a religious experience. Would you laugh in the face of God? Blah, 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 blah. But, you know, honestly, go fuck yourself. If, if you if you go to an old film, if you go see a James Bond film from the 60s at the cinema and you go and laugh at it, you're a fucking idiot, okay? going to do it for this week's episode of Left field Shout. Uh, I hope you've enjoyed it. Uh, you can follow me on Twitter. Uh, I'm at the piss off. That's the piss off. Um, you can also send in questions to the podcast uh, via holdfastnetwork.com/askjo. You can also do other things as well. Like, whatever. Uh, next week's episode will be on uh, Jacques Demy. Who's that, Joe? I hear you ask. Well, he was a French filmmaker, and he made lots of good films. And I'm going to be talking about the next. What the fuck am I doing? Um, yes, he made lots of really good films, including um, The Umbrellas of Cherbourg and uh, La Demoiselle de Rochefort. And um, that, the yeah, La Demoiselle de Rochefort, is probably my top ten of all time. It's such fantastic film uh so yeah that'll be next week and then the week after that will be listen up philip and the color wheel with a possible guest mm, who might that be i hear you ask it could be any number of people or you can just go on my twitter and see who i was talking to about it so yes i hope you enjoyed this week's episode and i'll speak to you again next week uh have a nice week and goodbye